Hey, this is Brady Volt with Nimble This and the Volt Firm. Our topic today is virtualization, a deeper dive, and we're doing a special series on it. What is cloud native virtualization? What does it mean to the industry? This is a special series of Get Your Tech On, our show on all things Doxis. I'm Brady Volt, founder of Nimble This and the Volt Firm. We have a special guest with us today, Asaf Matatayu. Asaf is Vice President, Solutions and Product Management, Cable Access Business at Harmonic Asaf. Great to have uh, you back with us. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so how are things in... Uh, well, first of all, let's tell everyone where you're broadcasting from and how things are going in, in your area. Sure. Um, I'm broadcasting uh, from my home in San Carlos, California, in Silicon Valley. Things are as crazy here as they probably are everywhere around the world, but we're staying safe and using the internet as much as possible. Yes, it's a good thing we got the internet, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Otherwise, this would not be possible. So our topic today, virtualization, cloud native. I think this is something, you know, we've kind of talked about last time you were on, which it's been it's been probably Mm -hmm. about a year since you've been on. Yeah, I think this is something that I've been looking forward to talking to because I've been I was really, really excited about virtualized CMTSs when you guys were the, really the first to introduce this technology to me. I think you were kind of new probably two years ago into the technology when you were first describing it. But at this time, I think you have some mileage under your belt and, and a lot of experience yeah. with it. So I think we, we got some more meat to talk about and some lessons learned sure. and a, a lot of things that we can kind of dive deep on. But before we get into that, I want to kind of interest, kind of go through what the what all this means to our audience. Even just starting from, you know, what is virtualization? What do we even mean by that? What does that mean to Doxis? What's it mean to CMTSs and stuff? I guess I just kick it off to you. Like, what is sure. virtualization? What does that mean to us? Because we got all kinds of listeners, and for some people, I think this is kind of a technology that may be completely new. Throw that question over to you. What What's virtualization, man, from your perspective? Well, it can mean a lot of different things to different people, for sure. And, and most of the ways of thinking about it are probably right. And it's not something that is unique or, or new to the cable industry or to access industries, in fact. Uh, virtualization is something that is across many industries. And we're just taking technology that's been around and applying it to the challenges that cable access and other access technologies uh, demand. And uh, in general, virtualization to us means that we're taking something that was in hardware and putting it in software and particularly on, on off-the-shelf servers, so it can run on uh, on commodity server types out there. And of course, when we look at cable access and CMTSs in particular, historically, those have been in hardware-based, custom chassis-based products, whether it's a CCAP device that does video or data or just traditionally CMTSs or edge qualms or anything related to that used to be based on or it's still based on those legacy devices on on a chassis with, with uh, LAN cards inside. And the distinction is now that you have software running on off-the-shelf servers. And then when you think about the traditional CMTS you, products, they have different types of processing that they do. Of course, there's the management plane 
you know, you can think of CLI and SNMP and IPDR traditionally are ways of configuring and monitoring CMTSs. That's management. You think about the control plane, which is the DOCSIS protocol as an example of a control plane that is being processed in a CMTS. And of course, there's the data plane, the actual data packets that are running or traversing over that part of the network. Cloud-native virtualization takes all three of those types of processing and moves them from custom hardware like ASICs or DSPs or FPGAs. And in some fashion, some form of CPUs that are on those custom line cards or chassis and moving them entirely to off-the-shelf servers. So, you, you know, when you talk about virtualization, you can do all three of those types of plane, you know, data control and uh, management planes in a solution, or you could just do management and do orchestration and, and automate the uh, configuration. But in general, when we look at things, we look at all three of those planes so we can eliminate the dependency on custom hardware and, and leverage the economies of scale of using servers that are out there and the generational improvements in those in those servers year over year, those those devices bring more power, more processing, and basically the, the, the processing power per, per dollar just grows year over year over year. Very powerful stuff. So kind of to, to summarize what you, what, what you said, you're taking virtualization is taking the hardware that goes into CMTSs today, like big box CMTSs, and you're, you're basically putting that into a computer. A server. Yeah, I mean, yeah exactly. that, that's the summary. That's exactly that's exactly it. It looks like a like a computer. Like we use one rack unit servers that are just computers, and we put a CMTS in there. And and so I mean, why why do we do that? What's what's the benefit of doing that? Yeah, there are a lot of benefits. One of them, of course, is software is you can be more responsive with software. So there's a there's a feature velocity. There's a responsiveness associated with with delivering things over software. So it's just the ability to deliver things without replacing hardware. So in, generally speaking, you can improve your software and the performance in software year over year in a much quicker way. When you're trying things out, the penalty for getting it wrong is also much, much greatly reduced. If you architect your software right, you could also, what I mean by that, by using microservices, for example, then you can scale different parts of your software orthogonally, you know, independently from each other. So if you run out in one area of uh, processing, you can move things around, which is a lot harder when you have fixed function, specific purpose-built uh, hardware-based elements in your card. So it's also about testability and reliability. It's about adaptability. Security is a big initiative, of course, and being able to adapt to security threats. It's about elasticity. If you have a fixed form chassis that's 13, 16 rack units and might have a bunch of other associated hardware associated with it, then it, you know, when you run out of capacity, you typically need to add a lot more space and, and power and cabling. And with a server based, a one rack unit server based, not that they have to be one rack unit, but for example, as small as one rack unit based servers, then when you run out of capacity, nothing is, is uh, limitless then you can scale up with one rack unit servers. So, you know, the the ability to grow is you could do that in much um, more granular increments. It also addresses smaller deployments. It addresses the ability to take uh, general purpose compute resources that we might have in our networks, whether they're at the edge or, or at the core, and have the flexibility to deploy those things in a variety of different use cases, which are much harder when you have, you know, much more power consuming, big space consuming purpose built chassis. So there are a lot of benefits 
in terms of capability, expandability, elasticity. And last but not least, putting and overlaying multi-tenant or different types of applications on a server allows us to address growth and needs across different types of footprints. Typically, cable operators don't have a single type of network that they connect into. You know, it's just, it's not always just always centralized or not with DAA, it's not always just DAA. And if you look at PON and wireless, it's not just that. It's usually a combination of things. And, and being able to put things into software on general purpose CPUs is a great way to address a uh, unified approach to uh, your access network. So questions coming in from the chat room and and from Paul Nolan, and he he's actually saying, well, this might not be directly on on topic, but... I, I think this question is is actually right on topic because we're talking about being able to take things that are in hardware, which when you have a say you have a CMTS in hardware, it's kind of hard to like take a brand new feature that wasn't designed for that hardware and stuff it into it. But once you virtualize it and you're putting it into the computer or a server, it in my mind it it starts to become easier to put new software features in. So feature requests coming at you right now. Paul is saying, you know, sure. what would it take? What, you know, what, he's saying at what point in the virtualization pathway would be best suited to implement something like a common collection flame, framework in a network? And I'm assuming what Paul's talking about with in terms of common collection framework. The common collection framework is something the Cable Labs, specifically in, in uh, the PNM working group, has developed. It's, it's a way that it, all operators can have a common way of collecting, particularly PNM data from modems and CMTSs. So it's what they what Cable Labs calls their common collection framework. And to make sure that way we can get data the same way from modems and stuff like that to pull that in from PNM data. So let's say we have this virtual CMTS that's all in a server. If we wanted to like add a new feature like this common collection framework, does does in your mind is it easier to do that with a virtual CMTS than it would be a, a physical hardware box CMTS? It could be. You know, I can't speak to the ease of of doing things in hardware, things that, that are implemented in FPGAs or ASICs and augmenting those capabilities are more complicated to augment with new capabilities. So I think with a common framework, what would make it easier is if we're looking at, at data collection from elements that are purpose-built as opposed to general purpose software. So let's say the metrics that we're trying to gather and then in the presentation layer whatever framework that may be and whatever object model that may be, that would be easier in software because, you know, all those metrics are probably easier to gather if your API is abstracted, is available through software, and then the present li presentation layer is, is generalized, and, and then you can decouple those two things. So uh, so I think it could be easier. I'm not familiar with the details of exactly what objects he's trying to pull out in his common framework uh, notion, but it should be easier because when you add that capability and let's say you add it to a particular, we haven't talked about containers and pods and cloud native specifically yet, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that in the next few minutes. But you can imagine then adding that capability, containerizing it, which helps in the deployment of this new piece of software and having it completely decoupled from either other microservices or in the case of if you had a hardware chassis, you, you know, you're not giving some monolithic pieces of software to support the uh, custom hardware. So from that perspective, it's easier to deploy. And then, and then, of course, the feature velocity would be much faster as well. 
Um, so the opportunity is definitely there to have faster turnaround on those types of initiatives. I have a couple of old Lenovo notebooks laying around. Can I run a, can I like <laughs> convert those into CMTSs to virtual CMTSs? What, what's I the requirements? So. No, no, I can't. <laughs> Honestly, uh, the answer is when we had this idea a number of years ago, we, we've actually been live in deployments with, with uh, virtual CMTS since, since the end of 2016. So it's quite a bit of time with uh, live subscribers and real networks. But before that, when this, uh, when this uh, idea came to bear, we actually went down to Fry's. I don't know if everybody's familiar with Fry's, but that's our uh, lo- Fry's local commodity. Fry's is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fries has, has it's I don't like know the Costco for now. electronics. If no one has been in a fries before, it's 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 a mecca of electronics equipment. Exactly, exactly. And you can find motherboards and enclosures and, and all kinds of cool stuff. But we went there and got very basic off the shelf server PC, right? Otherwise, it would be used for your home, right? We did our work on that, you know, just to to start with. So in fact. Your Lenovo probably is more powerful than the Fry's <laughs> server we we got at that period of time, at least the way we do things. And, and again, there's a variety of different ways of virtualizing things. But at least uh, in our experience, we put the entire data management and control plane processing on general purpose CPU, Intel CPUs, and that allows us to do a, from A to Z all the functionality. So yeah, I think we could run it on your on your Lenovo. I don't know how many bits per second we'd get out of it, but uh, probably a decent amount. So I, I think, and I, and I know there's some other things you want to talk about, but one, one of the burning questions for me is where do the F connectors go in the computer, on the server? Yeah, that's right. They're in the cloud. <laughs> They're virtual um, F connectors, right? <laughs> yeah. We haven't figured out how to uh, virtualize the F connectors, right? We, that, that's something we haven't been able to virtualize yet. But but that I mean I think that is a question that people have when we talk about virtual virtualization of DOCSIS or virtualization yeah. of the CMTS. How does that work? Kid, how, yeah, how do we sure. ultimately get to RF? Yeah, kidding aside, of course, uh, there's still a physical layer involved, regardless of the access architecture, right? Whether it's uh, DOCSIS or PON or wireless or whatever, right? So in the case of DOCSIS, of course, there's a F connectors and and there's RF transmitted and received and. And the different physical layer form factors you can have could be something that is traditionally in an outdoor enclosure or node. We'll talk about nodes in, in cloud native terms in a second. But in this case, we're talking about outdoor enclosures being the nodes. So you can have the uh, physical layer processing, demodulation or modulation of the packets. And again, in our experience, what we do between the servers and the physical layer platforms, whether they're outdoor or indoor or in small form factor or large form factor physical air devices, at the end of the day, we, we basically transmit using the remote five protocols, those being DEP, UFP, and, and GCP for control. And, and then, of course, the uh, physical air device will then convert what are L2TP V3 packets that are defined by the remote five protocol and basically then do the modulation and demodulation of the RF towards the subscriber devices. So so from the the virtual CMTS or virtual CCAP, there's a connection that goes to a remote FI device, right? Is that exactly is that basically how we're that, getting to F connectors and RF and making that connection? That's exactly right. Yeah, that's the simplest way to think about it. We have an RPD that we say or a remote FI device and that RPD can be in a 
node enclosure or it could be in an indoor enclosure. And yes, that's exactly right. So everything above the physical layer is done in software. Okay. The Mac layer, processing, the encryption, the decryption, service flow handling, upper layer protocols. Makes sense. So cloud native, what we talked virtualization, cloud native is a term that, what does cloud native mean to us? So cloud native means uh, four things to us. One of them is containerization. So we've taken different pieces of software that, that are, we'll talk about microservices in a, in a little bit, uh, and package them in containers. And that allows us to have these containers deployed independently of each other. So it helps with the deployment of, of different packages of software, if you will. The second piece is dynamic orchestration, different ways to do it. In our experience, we use Kubernetes. And Kubernetes uh, basically allows us to take the human factor out of tying what processing will be done on what CPU. So as different sorts of applications, let's call them applications for the time being, get instantiated, Kubernetes will dynamically orchestrate them on a set of compute resources that uh, don't necessarily have to be uh, co-located on the same servers. It could be on a, on a set of servers and a cluster of servers, but that's the dynamic orchestration piece. So that's containerization and dynamic orchestration. Third piece is microservices. And, and this is about the way we architect the software from the ground up. It's the ability to have these different pieces of software modular. And, you know, the way I think about it is what it's not. Traditionally in the CMTSs that I've been involved with from 20 years back and, and more, um, you know, the piece of software was one image. It was monolithic. And when you change some piece of software, you had to basically regress and test all the software. If you think about microservices, it addresses a few different things. First of all, those different services are could be uh, independently and modularly interfacing with the other ones, and they could scale independently of each other. So if you run out of, if you need extra performance doing some microservice, you can add, you know, horizontal scaling of that, if you will, basically uh, add more of those types of services in your solution independently of the other ones, and, and instead of having to scale everything vertically or everything at once. So you can have that that sort of modularity. And the last one, which is the fourth thing, I said four things, is uh, running on off-the-shelf service or COTS devices. And that really allows us to leverage the economies of scale and not have any special purpose-built software that's tied to any hardware. That really uh, gives us the opportunity to uh, leverage the generational speed increases and performance increases, particular of Intel servers. So you just covered a lot of ground right now with the four points that you talked about. And and my concern is that I, I think a lot of like plant guys and RF guys are going to say, oh, Kubernetes, containers, vertical scaling, all this stuff, this doesn't apply to me. I want to yeah. make sure that they realize that. And I also encourage our chat room to ask questions to, you know, for specific areas of this that they want us to dive deeper. Cable Labs in particular is really pushing operators and developers to focus on things like Kubernetes and containers specifically because of like what you're talking about, the scaling capabilities of this, other areas as well. I think we've really, as an industry, we've really been constrained into like if you buy a piece of physical hardware and you run out of capacity in a particular service group, you have to a lot of times you have to buy a new CMTS or you have to buy a new line card in order to add new capacity to that service group, to those subscribers who are constrained. We talk about the, the things that we've experienced over the past several months with so many people working from home, children learning from home. 
this is like a, I think, a prime example to talk about the need to be able to quickly scale a system. I like, um, I'd like to take this opportunity to talk about how this is a prime, prime use case to be able to have mm -hmm. a, a containerized system. And I, I think you could probably ar articulate it better than I can to where you could quickly scale up a service group or scale up a CMTS, a node, et cetera. When demand quickly shifts because suddenly we have some new thing happens, COVID-19 outbreak, and suddenly everyone's working yeah. from home, children are learning from home. And, you know, you couldn't anticipate that. You couldn't see that coming. But having an architecture that allows you to change things and add a lot more capacity in an area where you did not see that capacity need. And, and I really think that's, that's what this technology offers. Do, do you agree? And can you elaborate on, on what this technology mm -hmm. gives? Absolutely agree. Obviously, there's been a lot of uh, pressure for, I would say, not just downstream, but especially upstream capacity as people are working from home. How many people are doing Zoom and video conferencing sessions that puts pressure on the upstream in particular? And that usually drives a particular, puts a particular pressure on the access network. And the ability to scale up your compute resources to address that and to do things as much as possible, especially with physical contact being limited and, and labor constraints. And this is an opportunity where having, uh, I would say, smaller devices, more easier to deploy, simpler to deploy devices allows us to react faster and quicker. It also allows us to augment the amount of servers in a way which address capacity needs in a very fast way. There's also, when you think about the cluster of servers there's usually some latent or spare capacity there that it's a lot easier to turn up and connect those types of new nodes or new node splits that might need to be occurring when you look at the, the upstream pressure in particular. So the elasticity, flexibility, ease of deployment and simplify, you know, operational simplification is, are all very important aspects in addressing basically urgent capacity needs. And there's no better example of that than and with uh, COVID in terms of the pressure that it's put on, on the network. I would also have to say that being able to not only address the capacity need is, is one thing, but also to identify and pinpoint where the capacity shortages are is another important aspect of it. So just having visibility into the network, the different streaming te uh, telemetry and, and, and cloud-based monitoring services that we've been able to roll out allows us to predict and adapt and then pinpoint and help operators address their capacity shortages before they get customer service calls, as opposed to having people call up and saying, hey, I'm not getting the speeds and, and then somebody, and, and then taking the steps to finding out where those bottlenecks are in the network. Looking at having clear visibility into where those pressures are in the network allows operators to address their pain points before it becomes, I would say, leads to customer calls or customer dissatisfaction. So those things go hand in hand. So that's actually an aspect that I hadn't thought of before, and I'd, I'd like to understand a little more about that. Why is it with virtualization or cloud-native technologies, you are able to have more visibility into things like network congestion or like what's going on from a capacity standpoint? Yeah, uh, we're able to augment our uh, the amount of metrics and telemetry that we stream pretty flexibly and rolling those out in the services 
oriented fashion. It's not something we, you know, when you think about services, it's something that gets augmented in the cloud naturally and native, you know, organically without rolling out new product releases on a quarterly basis. So it's something that, that we can address in terms of the capability of the service very quickly. Number one. Number two, the amount of data it could be much greater and is much greater. So if you think about the amount of metrics that we're able to provide are really high, increased set of metrics, uh, not least important, but it's the uh, cadence of those metrics coming up. So it's a stream of data as opposed to, if you think about SNMP, traditionally SNMP was was polled, let's say four times an hour. So you'd get this you know, blip every four hour, uh, four times an hour, every 15 minutes, you get a snapshot of some metrics in your, in your network. And all of a sudden um, you could have compute resources providing very high cadence of metrics that are frequently changing. So it looks like a continuous stream of information as opposed to four pinpoints over an hour. So you get more metrics that are available more frequently and it gives you a clearer and more visible picture of what's happening in your network. And, and why is virtualization important for that? Because you know you can address that with, with general purpose compute resources. You can elastically you know, add resources to deliver those incremental metrics. It's very hard to add counters into hardware. It's very hard force whatever limited general purpose computer resources you might have on a hardware or purpose-built CMTS to all of a sudden dedicate capability towards uh, increased metrics and metric rates because it's going to come at the expense probably at whatever other heap or processing that it's addressing. And lastly, it's probably not architected in a way that's microservices oriented, which means that when you're adding the, the telemetry piece, it's being done in a microservice that is completely orthogonal to the data plane. So it's not going to impact the data plane at all. Well, traditional CMTSs, their CPU resources are generally not built as microservices, and you're stealing away basically CPU cycles for something that's probably important for some other function that, that's in, in that device. So you're not able to bifurcate or segregate those capabilities in a completely independent way when, when you have it architected as a microservice in a in a virtualized approach. So you can imagine, hey, I, I need more telemetry resources. Well, let's say you can address it by adding more compute resources for that microservice and, and not, not being factful to your, your data plane processing at all because those are architected and, and independent. And that way they could scale and grow independently one of another without impacting you know that behavior. So the microservice, from what you're saying, it's it's like adding more processing capability for a specific, let, let's say SNMP, for instance. You know, so we're we're pulling or we're requiring the CMTS with SNMP, and you're saying you could scale up a microservice to answer those SNMP queries if they're coming in very frequently. Is, is that is that basically what Generally, you're saying for a microservice? That's an example of something that could scale independently, right? You could have a a microservice for dealing with Docsis protocol independently from a from a service that's dealing with responding to SNMP. So if the SNMP becomes your bottleneck, it's not it's not bottlenecking all the processing on the entire CPU. It's just bottlenecking the SNMP service. And at that point, you could recognize, hey, I'm probably getting inundated with SNMP requests, and I want to have more SNMP compute resources. So I'll scale that independently of all the other processing I have in my in my platform, if you will. So I, you know, I wouldn't suggest scaling up SNMP. I would suggest going to more modern Telemetry tools, and not, you know, not. At least my opinion is that we're not going away from SNMP anytime soon. But you know, I think there are much more responsive and and better telemetry protocols and tools out there that are much more efficient 
that can address, you know, the increased amount of metrics that we would really want in our networks. Right. But yes, if SNRP became a bottleneck, then that would be, you know, with the microservices based approach, you could address that by allocating more compute resources to that microservice compared to the other ones. Well, from your experience, what would be maybe a, a more realistic example of services that get a lot of load that need to be scaled up? Is there, is there something that you can share that would be more realistic, a more realistic example? In a, in a heavy load system. Um, well, I'll ask you the question: What 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 is the one thing that demands more processing year over year in any CMTS? What what changes? Yeah, so I, I mean, subscriber load. So I would say in the day. Well, typically, what's been in the daytime, subscriber load is low, and in the evening time, subscriber load gets much higher. Although we could argue that's shifting a little bit right now with what's right. happening in a pandemic. But typically. Subscriber load changes dynamic from day to night. Mm -hmm. So is that something that can be dynamically managed with, with containers in a, in a virtual CMTS? It certainly could be. Admittedly, it's not something we dynamically change, at least in what we're deploying right now. Uh, we haven't felt the need to do it that way, but it's something that the potential is there. But you nailed it. I mean, the thing that does grow, whether it's time of day, but on a annual basis, it's the, the load on data processing or, or the, the bandwidth per subscriber grows. We don't, you know, if you think about it, it's not the subscriber, uh, it's not the growth in the number of subscribers. In fact, the typical thing that happens is node splits, right? Mm -hmm. Which means yeah. on average, the amount of subscribers per service group or per Mac domain you know, trends downwards, right? And the reason that happens is because, you know, less people sharing the same pipe, whether the pipe is growing or, or not, means more average bandwidth per subscriber in the home. So the, the amount of subscribers typically is going down. So that so the things related to subscriber count is not something that's growing or needs to be addressed. So the thing that you'd want to address is higher bandwidth rate. And the things related to higher bandwidth rates or the services related to addressing those are the things that you'd want to scale independently. You wouldn't want to scale those up like you were scaling the subscriber count at the same time, right? You'd, you'd want to be able to address those things mm -hmm. in, independently from each other and optimize uh, how you, you spend your CPU cycles for the things that actually demand that growth. Yeah. And so I, I like your the fact that you mentioned node splits because there's been a lot of node splitting going on in, in the past couple of months. How does... How does a virtual CMTS differ when you're splitting nodes from maybe a, a typical CMTS? Or is it basically the same? Are you just changing commands in a virtual CMTS? Or is is there is there a different uh, is it like a different process? Yeah, there's so there are some differences. If you think about a traditional CMTS deployment, you got whether it's a CCAP or CMTS, you got the CMTS function, you got the EdgeQuam function, you got auto band functions in North America. If you think about SCT 55.1 and 55.2 for set top box control, you got signals, out of band signals. All those things get combined and then split, right? In a, in a RF combining and splitting network. So typically, if you think about the racks that go along with the CMTS, you got those. You, you got transmitters and receivers, and you got the RF portion of the network. If you go to a, a wholly converged, and all those signals are, are basically being sent over IP to your remote FI device, again, think about the different enclosures that you might have for those remote FI devices. They could be dancing underneath the, the servers, right? You can have them in the same rack, one on top of each other, or or maybe in the same location in different racks. But what that would allow us to do is, is to reduce or eliminate the RF splitting and combining networks. So everything is IP, 
So if you think about it from that perspective, from a monitoring point of view, uh, it really eliminates the need to wire into a patch panel the ability to, and you can appreciate this from a PNM perspective, being able to get the IP signal from a software controllable, uh, hey, I want to look at this Mac domain's uh, spectrum as opposed to moving a cable and a patch panel to move it to a spectrum analyzer, mm-hmm. which was over your, I guess, your right shoulder. Um, <laughs> you could do that programmatically. So when you think about it from a deployment point of view, where where does the node split happen? And at the end of the, the day, virtualization or not, there's going to be a node split, there's going to be RF. The amount of connections that you have in the RF domain are greatly reduced. That saves space, that saves power, that saves wiring. Uh, that also saves, uh, you know, human error on the RF side. You know, if, if things aren't terminated correctly or they're not plugged in all the way or, you know, there's there's obviously impact to the RF signal when you don't plug in those things, you know, with the right attenuation. And there, there's room for error the more connections you have in the RF portion of your network. And when you eliminate those, it, it eliminates that human error and those types of connections that you need to make. So everything... The majority of your connections become IP. There are a reduced number of connections because those IP connections can be aggregated. You could have, you know, bigger, you know, higher speed connections between your your servers and your your SIN, your converged interconnect network that connects between your CMTS and your RPDs. And, and that really allows us to scale up those node split deployments. It happens much faster. And in practice, that's what we've heard and what we've experienced is feedback for, for folks who are deploying remote FI, whether it's in a centralized deployment, deploying remote FI in the same locations or DAA where the, the RPDs are out in the in the field. It just reduces basically the labor associated and uh, increases the reliability associated with doing node split. You just brought up a, a, a great topic that I just want to focus on for a moment, which is I know that there are two two ways you can deploy remote fi, which is the remote fi shelf, which goes in the head end and, and the remote fi device that mm-hmm. goes out in the field. And I know that you guys do both of those. What goes into the decision making? And I, this is a little off topic, but I to me it, it is a big question for me. What goes mm-hmm. into the decision making for an operator to determine if they're going to use a remote FI shelf with a virtual CMTS versus a remote FI, like, you know, regular R FI out in the field? Budget. This, okay. Dollar bills, DBs. Yeah. If you had a, a budget for outdoor plant work and you planned on doing DAA or fiber deep or fiber deeper, right? You don't have to go to the node plus zero necessarily. Those are the things that are typically planned ahead of time, right? So it's not just a function of desire. It's also a function of budget. The great opportunity here is this is a unified approach. So it doesn't matter if you're doing complete DAA or centralized. It all connects back to the same virtualized solution, right? Because out of those servers comes out a remote FI protocol. And that that's a bit confusing. So it's, it's worth mentioning again, just because we're communicating between the virtualized CMTS and the remote FI devices using a remote FI protocol, that doesn't dictate that it's necessarily fiber deep or DAA deployment. You could use those protocols to communicate between the CMTS and the remote FI shelf that could be literally right beneath it, okay? Those are Ethernet cables that connect between the servers and logically with the remote FI devices. And that really basically allows you to connect dense five shelves in a co-located area, or you can uh, put five shelves in secondary hub distance away, and you can have the exact same infrastructure connect connect to outdoor nodes, right? A DAA. And 
you know, to a virtualized CMTS implementation that supports this, that means you can address all types of footprints in the same type of architecture. So let's say you haven't budgeted for a outdoor plant work and you want to get the scale and performance and uh, upgrade, have dense five shelves in a centralized deployment. Centralized meaning that basically you have RF being delivered out of your head end or hub. That's really what centralized means is where's your RF generated? So if there are, if you, if you didn't plan on doing outdoor plant work, you can, you can still get a lot of value in, in space power and performance uh, reduction and performance increase by having a virtualized CMTS connect to a remote five shelf in the same location. And then as budget uh, becomes available or you plan on doing the outdoor plant work, you can connect uh, the remote five nodes to the exact same SYN infrastructure that exists that you've already deployed. So it's very, how could you say, flexible in terms of addressing the needs an operator uh, may have and might, might not even know how they plan to address that year over year. But it gives them the opportunity and the potential to have that mixed footprint in their network. So the remote five shelf allows you to use your existing optics, your forward path transmitters, your return path mm-hmm. receivers. So is that kind of like a stepping stone to getting to remote five then out in the field? Is that, is that essentially it could be. What? It doesn't have to be, but it is a stepping stone. If that's We say virtualized first because it allows you to do anything across any type of footprint. Okay, so whether it's leveraging the existing outdoor plant you have and you're just doing a refresh because you want to have extra capacity. After all, we're in a capacity-based business. If you want to have extra capacity in a traditional HFC type of deployment, then it's a stepping stone to to pushing fiber deeper and doing DAA. But, you know, we have a lot of uh, operators out there that uh, do have plans on doing DAA and and then they recognize that they basically do a cap and grow, do DAA, and then they realize that their existing set of CMTSs have run out of capacity and they want to replace them. So one doesn't have to come before the other, strictly speaking, right? DAA could come first and then you could, you know, go back and, and do a refresh to your existing uh, centralized deployment if that's, if that's your choice to make. So I, I don't want to make it seem like, you know, one has to happen uh, before the other. The other point I want to make is when, you, when you're deploying a remote five shelf, uh, one of the opportunities there is that you can take all your out-of-band signals, your, your video signals, your CMTS signals, and put them over IP and basically eliminate that splitting and combining network that you otherwise couldn't have done ahead of time. You don't have to do that, but it's an opportunity to save that rack space. Obviously, you still need your transmitter and receiver because the RF is generated at, at that location, but it's an opportunity to converge all that, all those services, right, over IP. And that's an enabler as well to, to save space and power. So where does, so I think we've sort of covered that aspect of it. I didn't want to take us off too far. Where does the, the virtual CMTS, this all cloud native technology reside? Where does it live? <laughs> it lives up in the cloud, I already said. Um, <laughs> cloud native, live. that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, so it's look, in the, the, it's in the, the stratosphere. The reality is, I'm going to say something that's going to sound pretty uh, <laughs> abstract, but it could live, it, it, it can live anywhere. Uh, obviously, there are, there are consequences to where it lives. You can have compute resources at the very deep edge of the network in a node. You can have them centralized in data centers. And you could have them anywhere in between. I think a lot of starting uh, starting points for different operators is putting the compute resources in these servers in the same head ends or hubs that the traditional CMTSs have lived in. 
because they're familiar with that operationally and have people there. Um, but that is not a limiting constraint. That's just, you know, familiarity and a stepping stone. But a lot of these opportunities uh, are about collapsing hubs or head ends and, and reclaiming space and centralizing these compute resources. And on the other end of the spectrum, the opportunity is, is to uh, push some of those compute resources even deeper into the edge of the network because the compute resources don't have to be in, in, in chassis-based solutions. They could be, you know, the form factor of the compute resources could be in outdoor enclosures. They could be in indoor enclosures deeper in the network as well. So there's nothing limiting a cloud-native virtualized approach from living in those locations and the opportunity of having it live in the public cloud or in a, or in a private cloud somewhere is also there. There's nothing limiting those opportunities. The the architecture and the technology enables that to happen. Admittedly, we don't we don't have a deployment in the public cloud of the uh, of the data plane processing, but that doesn't mean it's not possible. It's just a a question of uh, time familiarity, and it's a matter of time. It will happen. It mm-hmm. will happen. So, so you talked about basically this, this, the server, the virtual CMTS living anywhere from a chat box pedestal out, out on the street to conceptually what we consider cloud data centers like AWS, Google Cloud Compute. Mm-hmm. These are really two different extremes. What are, I guess I'm, con- I'm questioning, you know, how does a server, how, how does a virtual CMTS live in a, in a locker on the street? that experiences wide temperature variations and potentially security risks of someone getting into that. At the same time, I I know many people have concerns about the security of services residing in Amazon or Google. I know many operators have concerns with their data or their services residing in those types of environments. What's your experience or, you know, what are your thoughts on things like security, harsh environments, things like that? Yeah, I think those things can be addressed, right? It's the difference between technology and operations. Technology, like I said, enables it. So cloud-native virtualization as a technology is definitely uh, something that is capable of doing all those things. And then the operational aspects um, the environmental aspects, the security aspects are all things that need to be addressed. And, and there's a wide variety of, you know, opinion out there. In practice, my opinion doesn't count, right? <laughs> I mean, it's the, it, it, you know, we're providing a menu of opportunities and we work together collaboratively to try to address some of those challenge, those operational challenges, but they're all addressable. If you want to put something in a, in a node, you can. There is some processing in there already with remote fine. You can put even more compute resources out there and dealing with temperature and, and heat, you know, is all, are, are all addressable things depending on your power envelope and, and how much compute resources you put out there. Security is always an issue for anything that's outdoor. Um, I don't know if there's any more security risk than than there is already today. Um, there is a security risk regardless, right? And then in terms of, uh, you know, putting things in the cloud, again, that's an operational concern that, that can be met and has been met across many other services in many other industries. There are critical services out there unrelated to cable access that are running in the cloud and, and those have been addressed in neighboring industries. So, those are all things that are addressable. They're, they're new and unfamiliar to cable access specifically. But they're not new uh, in other industries, and we can leverage those learnings and see how we address them. I mean, right now, I'd have to say we're continuing to uh, push, even though we've been deploying for four for four years virtualized CMTSs, we're still pushing the envelope and addressing 
uh, new challenges going forward. And, and I would say that pushing a VCMTS into a AWS instance is something that will happen over time, but it's probably not the urgent challenge that needs to be addressed in the next six months or a year. But from a technology, it could, right? But it's not the, it's not coming from, I would say, you know, that's not the pressure operationally. So what is the future? Where, where do you see this technology taking us, say, in the next five years? Where, you know, where will we be once virtualization and cloud native technology is really reaching its full potential? That's a good question. The opportunities are so broad that I think it, it, it kind of leaps over to neighboring access technologies and beyond access. So it's about putting multi-tenant access applications on top of the same set of server or meaning the same cluster of servers uh, to address PON, to address wireless, uh, as well as DOCSIS. It's to look at different types of services that can be also residing on the same set of services, uh, servers uh, to address low latency, low latency sorts of applications. But there are other services on top that can also be augmented at the same time that ex- improve the quality of experience for a subscriber that are not directly tied to the actual access processing, whether it's Doxis or PON or whatever it may be. Those are opportunities as we overlay the different sorts of applications on a single set of clusters and elastically and dynamically address those service needs. Those are, those are things that I think will allow us to leverage even more efficiencies out, out, out of a set of servers as opposed to just scaling up and down dynamically and addressing Doxis capacity pressures, but looking at it kind of even more holistically across different access architectures. So uh, I think those things are being addressed, uh, are in the works and will be uh, coming up. And, and and as well, addressing the needs around DOCSIS 4.0, right? That's another version of DOCSIS and it is a cable access type of technology. But, you know, if you think about a virtualized approach, at least on the side of the CMTS, that's just a software upgrade per se, which is a very powerful thing to say, you know, with all new technologies that are that are forthcoming. You know, if you look at Docsis 4.0, there's some physical layer of things that need to be upgraded. But on the CMTS side, if you have a virtualized approach, that's just a software upgrade when it comes out. And I think that's one of the things that's always, it's really made me excited about this technology is when you think of you know, upgrading a server with going from Doxis 3.1 to Doxis 4.0 versus having to buy a bunch of new hardware. That's really exciting. <laughs> that makes, that makes yeah, the technology think, really, really neat. Yeah, it's it's limiting that that the hardware replacement cycle and that part of the network. It, it's a pretty, I don't want anybody to misunderstand. I mean, you still have to replace the physical layer, meaning I mean, there's going to have to be a the F a connectors, chip. <laughs> the, the F connectors per se. Yeah. But a huge part of the processing will be a software upgrade. Yep. All the stuff on the servers will be software upgradable. That's a pretty powerful statement to make. And as we look at the different things that are coming our, our way, who's to say what the next pressure point will be six months, a year, or two years from now? Nobody predicted this COVID thing. So uh, I don't know what, what a year from now will look like. Yes. We don't know what's coming. So, Saf, I don't know if you've realized that we've talked for 55 minutes already, and I feel like we barely scratched the surface on this because I've got about 100 more questions for you, but we've got to wrap up. Is there anything you want to plug that's coming up on your horizon? Is there anything that I want to plug? Yes. Um, am I allowed to plug Harmonic? I of mean, course, you can plug it. Yeah. Anything you want. Look, you know, we've Harmonic's been doing great work in the area of uh, virtualized cable access, and uh, our cable OS solution is something that is has been deployed for quite some time since the end of 2016. And we're really proud of the work that we've done 
collaboratively with with our partners in the industry and and of course we look for more uh, great things to come so we hope people reach out to harmonic when you think about cable access and virtualization and um, have any more questions about virtualization or cable os please reach out to harmonic come to our website there's a contact us uh, button obviously you could contact me directly and we'll be happy to uh, answer your questions and, uh, and address your needs all right asaf Thank you so much for your time today. Definitely appreciate the information. I would love to have you back and do a follow-up on this because I, I think we can do a lot more uh, deeper dive. We'd love to know more about what you guys have been doing as well. We try to bring great content every show. Would definitely appreciate it. If you've liked what you've seen, please do hit the subscribe button. Click on the notification bell so you can find out what we're doing on our next podcast. Our next episode is episode 63 on August 14th. We'll have John Downey back. Who knows what we'll be talking about. Thanks so much, everyone, for watching, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, all.